San Francisco Giants. <laughs> How many of you are Giants fans? How many of you could care less? <laughs> Since there are so many who could care less that I have to change topics now. <laughs> I was having a conversation with uh, my friend Hanuman, who I think I've spoken about various times here. And we were talking about the, the concept of, of keeping the faith. And he was asking me if there was a, something like keeping the faith, being you know, optimistic uh, that your team was going to win, or being uh, just um, very positive and um, just having that feeling that things were going to to work out, and just that sense of uh, all's okay. And, but specifically, if uh, keeping the faith in whether your team's going to win or not. And I said the, the Dharma is not so big on, on this kind of keeping the faith, although it's not to suggest that uh, it is not very... Um, that it's not useful to have optimism and a um, and confidence in in your life and in yourself and in the goodness of others, etc. But faith, uh, keeping the faith that your team is going to win, very very unreliable refuge. <laughs> Needless to say. And so it got me thinking, though, about faith and confidence and what really, what really gives us that sense. You know, I, I realize that my own practice of the Dharma, you know, I spent it, doing intensive practice, I spent pr- over three years in silence, cumulatively, you know, three, four months at a time, over m- many years. And I practiced with absolute abandon. Without really, without regard for for my body, a lot of the time, uh, some of it was quite foolish. But a certain what really drove it was a, a basic faith in the in the practice. There was an intuition that it was uh, that there was benefit to it on one hand, and that I could handle it, whatever happened on the other. So I had that. Not everybody has that kind of faith, and I think that may be developmental. It's up whether you were positively mirrored or not. I don't know exactly. There have been other things that I didn't have so much faith about. And the more I've practiced the Dharma, the less faith I have in how things will turn out. It's almost like the, some. I think I've heard it before, the wisdom of no hope. If you're if you're a member of the of the sometimes called the dukkha club, you're the the only way that you're certifiable not certifiable only way you can be certified for membership is that you've given up hope. One hope for a better past. That's a big one. And really hope for uh, things to work out the way you want them to. Now it doesn't mean that. You don't want them to work out, and that you don't um, that you 
that you want to be, you always want to uh, be, be optimistic, uh, if it's possible. And, but the optimism that a person develops in Dharma is, uh, or faith or confidence that a person develops in, in Dharma is born of your direct experience. It's not belief. It's not, uh, it's not what's sometimes called blind faith. It is what's called verified faith. It's called, uh, when we have a kind of blind faith initially, I think what I had was the Buddha called it bright faith. This kind of, it feels right. Something sparked my heart, something lit on fire. And that bright faith is what led to what's called dhammachanda, the, the urge to, the urge to, uh, to practice, the urge to look into the matter. But then after that, I'm, not, I'm, I'm meant to, as uh, in fact there's a tradition of this in Judaism, there are times when you want to suspend faith, where you, especially after people die, you don't, you, a person who is a so-called Kohen Gadol, it's a, the tribe of priests, they, they suspend their faith, they don't go into the synagogue. They don't, they don't, um, they, they just hang out with things the way they are. They, they grieve or whatever they need to do, but they don't. They don't. Uh, they don't practice their their religion. And in a way, once you start, once that bright faith uh, passes, and you're then you're faced with all of learning about your life and learning about what's true, then the faith should be suspended until you know for yourself. But you want to keep. So you want to keep a kind of doubt practice. But you don't want to keep a skeptical doubt that's, that's contracted, that's really a disguise for negativity, a disguise for uh, pessimism. You want to keep the great doubt that says, I don't know, but I am wide open to find out. And then you want to find out through your direct experience. And so all the the tools and practices that are offered are simply to create the inner conditions for you to be able to see for yourself what's true. Probably a very one of the most frequently chanted passages in the, in the Buddhist teaching is "Ehi paseko opanayeko pachatan veditabu winyuhiti." For all those, some people have added a different translation, but all those who can be taught, but forgetting that who can be taught, all those who are interested to come and see for themselves. Don't believe anything, but see for yourself whether it's true. And it's not just throwing yourself into, into uh, the unknown. Of course, on one level, it is throwing yourself into the unknown. But the Buddha doesn't leave you without some kind of support in his recommendation. He says you can't, there are three things you can put your trust in, at least while you're trying to discover the Dharma. Discover Dharma meaning the truth, the way it is, uh, that which will allow you to live in harmony with life and uh, not go against the, uh, not go against, uh, not be uh, fighting with reality, not being in a constant state of struggle. For the cessation of struggle, for the cessation of, of mental suffering, 
you need basically three things as supports to put your trust in. And that is what, what, is, what are those three things that you put your trust in? What? <laughs> Hadn't thought of that one. <laughs> a single, a double, and a home run. What do we put our trust in? Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. Now, again, if we were to just... Well, we don't have a Buddha here. I always think there's... A, most retreats I teach, there's the Buddha there. We can certainly put our trust in the historical example of a Buddha who, who was human like us and, and, uh, and used his own observing power, his own sincerity, and realized the, all, of these ama- all of this amazing truth about life and then spent 45 years sharing it. We can draw some inspiration from that, but that's not what it means to put your trust in the Buddha. That's just more blind faith in a way. That's more bright faith. That's more taking you to the doorway. But, but we have to remember when we're practicing, as I think I just said out loud on one retreat recently, the Buddha's a dead guy. <laughs> the Buddha as a historical person is dead, and, and by the time he got to us, who knows what he actually said? There's a lot of commonality cross-culturally that leads us to believe that the heart of what he said, the Four Noble Truths, etc., etc., many of the teachings are, you know, they're right on. But the Buddha is a refuge. Buddha simply means awake. It means putting your trust in being awake, being conscious. And for that, for to be awake and conscious, we have to, uh, and to really apply all of the elements that are, that are um, the expressions of that wakefulness and consciousness, we have to, in some ways, suspend uh, living through the lens of beliefs and ideas even. We have to look freshly. So we... So the place that we want to put our trust is in this amazing consciousness that we have. Chitta. Chitta is the word for consciousness or heart or mind, the nature of mind. Interestingly, chitta, heart and mind. So we want our heart to be, as we go through this process, as wide as the world. We want our mind to be clear, impartial, like an empty sky. And then we want to not only put our trust in what we'd call the Buddha, being awake, but we also, for, to really learn whether or not uh, the teachings are true, whether they're onward leading, whether they're helpful, we want to put our trust in the Dharma, and teachings, we, can, we can't so much easily put our trust in the teachings. We can have bright faith in the teachings. They have this sound of correctness, of accuracy. They're intuitively resonant to our hearts. 
But we can't really hang our hats on that completely. We have to suspend bright faith or just let that fade and then put our faith in the Dharma as we find it. Dharma meaning truth. To fall in love, bring chitta, bring the nature of the heart, nature of the mind, bring it, um, apply it to, um, to what's true. See what is true. And how far do we have to travel to do that? To be conscious of what's true. Now, we can't, we don't travel anywhere. I thought maybe somebody would blurt it out, but (laughs) we do not have to, as one of my teachers used to say, we do not have to lift out of this moment to be conscious, aware, awake with the truth. So the truth is, you could say, whatever's happening on one level is whatever is happening at any one of the the different doors of perception. What I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, what I'm smelling, what I'm tasting, what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. So in, in one way you could say the truth is you. You are, in some way, what, what the whole teaching points to. You're what you're looking for. While we're busy trying to decide whether this or that is right, if you put your trust in the Dharma, what's true, you don't have to go very far. And, but if you hang out long enough, putting your trust in the Buddha, being awake to the Dharma, there's a few things that you will inevitably discover about not just what's true in any one moment, but you will start to see what is uh, common to everything that happens in any moment. You will see what's common to every moment's experience. While you're watching a Giants game, (laughs) while you are while you are wanting the giants to win, if you, you will notice, well, there are many things you'll notice, but if you want the giants to win and you put your faith in the giants winning, if you keep the faith, you will notice that you become increasingly more anxious. You become increasingly more tense. And when the giants win, you feel a great sense of relief. But it wasn't the win that gave you the relief. It was the cessation of that tension. It was the cessation of the wanting, of the dependency. And you will discover that depending on any condition for your sense of well-being, depending on anything as far as how it turns out, is suffering, is mental suffering. And you will see that sometimes if things arise, as you pay attention, as you take refuge in the Buddha, knowing the Dharma in your very life, sometimes there will be victory, sometimes there will be defeat. Sometimes praise, sometimes blame, sometimes gain, sometimes loss. Sometimes fame, sometimes shame. 
And the more you see that, you will see that, uh, that everything um, that arises, changes, passes away, and to depend on anything being a certain way or being permanent or giving lasting satisfaction will, um, is, keeps us in a cycle of suffering. So that's the first two. We take refuge in the Buddha, take refuge in the Dharma. Uh, when we take refuge in the Dharma, we, we, um, we commit to putting our trust in, at least as a great support, and hopefully it becomes a lifetime benefit, putting our support in how it is right now, not how I want it to be, now I, not how I hope it will be, not how I expect it to be, not how it was, um, not how happy I will be when, but how glad I am to be exactly where I am. So that's one level of, of, um, of putting our trust in the Buddha and the Dharma. That begins to build a sense of trust, a different kind of trust, a kind of trust that says, I, I can be well regardless of what happens. Because I know that I can't depend on conditions being a certain way. But I notice that the more I understand that I can't depend on conditions, I notice that my mind stops reacting so much. And I feel a greater sense of well-being and peace. I feel less of less, in, uh, less, less caught in the quicksand of dependency. I feel more settled in the ground of attention. And I've noticed that the more I take refuge in the Buddha and the Dharma, these are just the words I'm using tonight in being aware of how things are. Uh, how things actually are, whether they are painful or pleasurable, uh, is very satisfying. The present is more and more bright. And I find that I'm less concerned with me and mine and what I want and where I've been and where I'm going. And I'm much much more concerned with Who's here? Who am I sharing this space with? What am I sharing this world of the Buddha and the Dharma with? I'm much more aware that I'm not here alone, apart from life and others. That you, in this case tonight, you are my Sangha. And you are continually, as, as representatives of all beings, you are continuously reminding me 
of the benefits of taking refuge in the Buddha and the Dharma. And if I didn't have you reminding me, I might forget that, wow, this refuge, putting my faith and confidence in being awake, being aware, and in things the way they are, I might forget that this is a... um, This is something that's worthwhile to put my faith in. But you keep reminding me. I mean, you as a group tonight, but all beings, I get that feedback. The more I'm present, the more everything awakens me. As Dogen said, Zen Master Dogen says, to to study the Dharma is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be awakened by all things. So if I'm continually being awakened by all things to the Buddha and the Dharma, I begin to feel a sense of confidence and faith. I keep getting the, the, the feedback that um, that there is in this very life, in this very moment, peace and relief, freedom. And then my faith deepens in the Dharma, in the truth. Faith deepens in the Buddha. Faith deepens in the in the Sangha. But I may not that may not be enough because that may feel a little vague. So I I go back to some of the teachings. And I remember that some of the teachings say uh, every one who is born will die. Everyone who is uh, is healthy will become ill. Everyone who is um, um, is young will become old if they're lucky. And everyone will be separated from all that they hold near and dear. And finally, everything that they, every seed they plant, that's why I put it in the instructions this evening, every moment we're planting seeds, and every seed you plant produces results. And that your actions matter. And the motivation behind your actions matters even more. But if you speak, if you think, if you act kindly, lovingly, love will follow you. If you speak, act, think positively, this is where the New Age and the Dharma coexist. The law of attraction is such that you will attract good energy, positivity. If you, um, if you act in a way that is non-harming, if you are careful in your speech, kind in your speech, truthful, then you, and you are sensitive 
in your respect for others' property, for if you are keeping your mind clear of the uh, careless, excessive uses of intoxicants, you will begin to experience the, uh, the bliss of blamelessness, of, of the happiness that comes from not having to, to uh, fill your tracks, happiness of not having to uh, pick up the pieces of the messes that you make. And you will experience the great happiness of, the, of being pure in your actions. And if you do that, you will then be able to have the happiness of having a mind that is pure and steady, unmoving, and you can delight in the unmixed happiness of a concentrated heart and mind. And if you have a concentrated mind, then you can have the potential. And this is what brings the, the deepest verified faith, the potential to apply that concentrated heart to deep insight and wisdom so that you have what's called purity of view, so that you can see indelibly that there is nothing worth clinging to, no victory worth hanging your your hat on. It doesn't mean that you don't want the Giants to win. I wanted the Giants to win so badly tonight. But the Giants stop being, if you're a Dharma student, the Giants stop being your medicine. They're not your medicine. Your medicine is the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Not in the classical way that we mean it. It's your own nature is your, is your medicine. The, the divine is you, as you, and all your capacity. So then we stop building our life on the future. I think last time I shared my new Hafiz poem, was that here? I knew have my trans- the, the opposite translation of the Hafiz poem. What do, what do uh, worried and anxious people who are worried and anxious have in common? They've all built a shrine to the future and often go there and do a strange wail and worry. What's the beginning of happiness? It's to stop being so religious like that. Um, I, you know, it's just a play on the Hafiz poem. So we stop putting our trust in, the, in a better past or in the past. We stop putting our trust in the future and we, uh, we achieve what, um, what the Buddha called was the one fortunate attachment. In fact, I'll read it to you. He says, Let not a person revive the past or on the future build his hopes. For the past has been left behind and the future has not been reached. Instead, with insight, let him see each presently arisen state. Let him know that and be sure of it, invincibly, unshakably. Today, the effort must be made. Tomorrow, death may come. Who knows? No bargain with mortality can keep him and his hordes away. But one who dwells thus ardently 
relentless day by day by night. It is he or she, the peaceful sage has said, who has one fortunate attachment. So there are many ways that, uh, that we, de- well, there's really just one way that we develop verified faith, and that's seeing for ourselves what's true. Seeing with the eyes of a Buddha, the Dharma. But in a more general way, uh, just having hung out with people who practice ardently, what is that word? Ardently, even in short periods of time, people who practice uh, ardently, relentlessly, by day, by night. I, this is what I think of as the, the practice that people do on retreats, people, and the practice that people do on 100-day retreats like we're doing. I have seen over and over and over that, the, um, that it does, it's, it's not a straight line up But over and over, I see increasingly minds clearing, hearts tenderizing, a verified faith growing, a deeper sense of being at home in one's body, home with one's mind, uh, much more confidence in the capacity to roll with the ups and downs, the joys and the sorrows. And so the... The more I sit with people, the more I, and the more I recognize my own inner, uh, my own basic, as Trungpa Rinpoche calls it, basic goodness, that light, that love, that basic sincerity, all the qualities that flow from our consciousness when they're not so contracted and tight. I see that continually every day, see the goodness in others. And I notice the more I see that, the more it comes back to me. And it's really easy to, to become uh, cynical, um, to become negative, to become reactive, to only, you know, to see, to see only the, the darkness. And I'm not, I don't think I'm Pollyannish. I, we've got plenty of darkness. But there is so much goodness. There's so much love. And... I think the the only way that we really get it is if we awaken to that in ourselves. Um, so that's what I think of as having faith and trust in, and then having your faith be verified rather than uh, blind, and then completely enjoying the Giants or whatever, whoever your team is. But you can then, as my teacher Punjaji used to say, then you can accept what comes and reject what goes. As though you planned it, you plan for them to lose once they lose. Fortunately, they won tonight, so it's easier to give this talk. (laughs) So I'd like to just end with a little bit of a hybrid metta, and then if anybody has any, well, maybe I'll take some comments or questions about faith, about confidence, about Buddha nature, about the Dharma, about the Sangha. Sangha means community, for those who don't know that language. Okay. 
a little tired tonight. Please, Marissa. The optimistic, what? I think that when you when you when I tune into the the goodness and the capacity in people, I start to feel more optimistic. And like you said, that go, um, of a better past. You know, letting go of well, letting go of the dependency. When I my my um, when my friend and I were talking, he was talking about keeping the faith and being optimistic, etc. Yeah. I think that you, you keep the longing by not putting excessive faith in how things turn out. You can want, and it's in our nature to long and to want. There's two things. The Buddha called faith in an outcome, he called it misplaced faith. So that, you can see that you cre- it creates a tremendous amount of insecurity. So you, want, you don't want your, you can't have your well-being dependent on, on victory. When Look at these guys who, who, for example, with the Giants. The best, the best hitter fails almost seven out of ten times when they get to the plate. If their well-being was based on hitting every time, they'd be really unhappy. So they have to learn to flow with, with the joys and the sorrows. But it doesn't mean they don't want to be great hitters. They want to be the best, and they want to hit five out of ten. And they keep wanting that, but they learn. They learn through their own direct experience that you can't really depend on five or six out of ten. So you don't want to have a misplaced faith. But it doesn't mean it's in our nature to long. So that's one side. The other side is to uh, is to notice um, notice what you're longing for. Well, that's you know very similar to the previous one. But if you notice what you're longing for, usually. It's the assumption is that unless I have that, I won't be happy. And the interesting thing, it, and this is, a, this is a practice, if each person who had that view, each time they felt a longing, turned the attention back on the longing itself and kind of rolled it back to the source of longing, It's easy for me to say this. It's another to actually verify this, so don't believe me. But if one rolls one's attention back to the source of longing, you will discover exactly what you're looking for all the time. I, I like that you're shaking your head no. Yeah. But to really look at that, we have to notice 
Okay, the longing, we're, we tend to be fixated on the object of longing. And that keeps us in a state of, of aching heart and, and a feeling of, of lack, and a feeling of deficiency, a feeling of, I call it, suspended happiness. And then we take our attention momentarily off of the object of longing and feel that longing. And let it, as Rumi says, let it cut more deep. He says, don't surrender your loneliness so quickly. Let it cut more deep. Let it season and ferment you as few human or even divine ingredients can. And then he ends it by saying, something missing in my heart has made my eyes so soft, my voice so tender, my need of the divine, which is here, absolutely clear. And at that moment, we fall in love, not with the person of our dreams, really the person of our dreams, which is our own beautiful heart, our own Buddha nature, our own divinity. Now, it's really easy to talk about that, but it's not satisfying. We have to actually do the work. So just experiment. The next desire that pops into your mind, the next moment of longing. See what happens to that longing when it's felt. More often than not, the longing will, will fade away and there will be silence. And you will realize in that moment of silence, it may not be as dramatic as the, as the poem I just recited, but that silence will be absolutely satisfying. There will be nothing missing, nothing in excess, no desire, no suffering. There'll be just absolute immaculate presence, which you are. Anyway, please. As one of my teachers said, how can you be ambitious? He says for, for making money, for, for um, career, etc., you need knowledge, education, you need to do all these things to get what you want. But to be yourself, you need nothing. So you have to really know what you're aiming for. Are you ambitious for your own, for, to, to, um, if you're ambitious to accomplish your career goals, then you'd need to do all kinds of things. And, and whether you reach that goal depends on what you do and how you do it. But to find your own, to find the deepest root of happiness, you don't need anything. Just don't need, you just need to stop straying away from yourself so much. Stop being dependent on how your career turns out. It doesn't mean you don't do everything you can to have your career work out well, but you don't want to have the misplaced faith that that's what truly brings happiness. Does that speak to the question? Yeah. Anyway, I appreciate the questions and just just your... Okay, please. What if you realize that you, if, that you don't need anything to be happy? What if it makes you less ambitious? And you just languish. 
then the pain of languishing will make you very ambitious. <laughs> That's right. Then you're guided by what actually happens. But anyway, let's, uh, let's call it a day. Appreciate everyone being here. Let's just consider any of the uh, benefits of our conversation, our, our practice, and let's share them with gusto, with all beings everywhere that we discover that we're not uh, separate from when we're quiet. And deeply wish, knowing we have, there are limits to our control of what happens, but we still deeply wish all beings to have happiness, to be happy and peaceful, yet we never forget that things are just the way they are. And we commit to take care of each other, and yet we remain aware that things are just the way they are. And may we find great joy, and may all beings find great joy in their lives, yet we also remember that things are just as they are. May we and all beings be happy and peaceful. May we know the causes of happiness and peace. May all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. May all beings recognize the deep peace that's without sorrow here and now. And a deep wish that all beings grow in serenity and equanimity, being less attached and dependent on things, people, conditions, near and afar. And may our practice today and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings be free. May all beings know their own divinity. Thank you. A usual reminder of our room rental, uh, Donna, teacher Donna, the baskets over here by the organ. Uh, and there is also, what's that? There's also the, the um, evening at Spirit Rock, uh, uh, the evening at Mission Dharma uh, offering that uh, several have been making very generously, and that's always open. But any help with the room rental is much appreciated. And if you, there are some flyers for doing evening at Spirit Rock or evening at Mission Dharma. I'm sorry. I'm so, so, so tired. And, uh, and any, the teachings offered here by me or anyone else are offered freely. And so the invitation is for you to, uh, as you're offering, give some support for me or the room rental or whoever's in this seat.